This may be um, the weirdest day ever in the history of Covenant Life Assembly. And, and I, some of you say, Randy, you say that every week. I know. I'm sorry. But it's, I'm not quite sure how this is all going to work out. But let me promise you one thing. I won't take very long. Cares for me. Sent me this meme. Oops, Josh, I'm not forward that slide one time. Thank you. Because she loves me and cares for me. And I learned. I learned from my wife. Thank you. Okay, so let me tell you how this is going to work today. If you're a guest, we're glad that you're here. But I want you to think of this meeting as kind of a family meeting. Because we're, we're sitting down together and talking about stuff that we need to talk about as a family. And again, you're just as welcome as you can be to sit in. But this we're taking care of some family business. This morning, we're making some decisions about the long-term trajectory of our fellowship. And here's how this is going to work for the next however long. We just don't even know. I'm going to talk for as long as I want to talk. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. And then you're going to talk for as long as you want to talk. I'm going to open the floor and give you a chance to ask questions. And, and then later, we're going to invite Pastor Brian Ramey in to take part of this conversation. He's the pastor at Genesis Church. But what I want to do this morning, after I finish saying whatever I want to say for as long as I want to say it, I want to give you a chance also to ask any question or bring up any situation you want to. And I realize that some of you may not want to ask questions with him here. So we want to give you a chance to do that. But then also I know that you may want to ask questions to him. We want to give you a chance to do that too. So after we've talked and talked and talked and talked, then we're going to convene what we're calling, according to the Constitution of Bala, as an emergency business meeting to vote on this merger proposal. I'm going to have some help this morning. Kate is going to help me. He didn't even know it. But go back there and grab one of those wireless microphones, Kate, if you will. We're going to have some scriptures, and I've assigned scriptures to people that are going to help me read these, and they'll be on the screen so you can keep up. But, but the, the foundation, listen closely, the foundation for everything that is said today by me and by you has to be the mission of the church. In other words, what God has called us to do must color every decision we make. So here's what I'm wondering. We believe that Covenant Life Assembly is a God idea. J.C. and I are confident that Jesus called us here in 1994 to found this church. And so my question is, when God established Covenant Life Assembly, what was he thinking? What did he have in mind? What did he want us to look like? Well, this is what we know because the scripture tells us that the local church was intended by God to be the physical manifestation of Jesus in the community. In other words, the people around us ought to be able to look at us, not our building, us, and see Jesus, see the hands and the feet and the heart of Jesus, okay? So here's my question to you. After 28 years, how do you think we're doing? 
This last week I had a conversation in my capacity as a marketplace chaplain. The leader of your family, you need to be in church. Why wouldn't you take your girls to church every Sunday? And he said, because church people are just too judgy. Is he correct? Now, we would say no. I mean, look around. You're precious. But I can certainly see how he has that perspective. In fact, let me ask you this. A lot of little, tiny, small assemblies of God towns, or town, little small towns all across Oklahoma have two and sometimes three assemblies of God churches in that one little small town. What do you think that town thinks about those congregations? Or in our own city here, someone that's not a church person or not really familiar with church, they look around and see a church on every corner, all of them different flavors. What do they think about us? Aren't those people reading the same book? Aren't they following the same leader? And they can't get along? They have to split up and have different names? Do you suppose that people that are not part of the church see us as jealous and divisive and inward focused and judgy? Yeah, I think they do. Why? What's the issue? What's the problem? Here's the problem. It's sin. You are sinful, and I am sinful, and we want our own way. That's why there are several assemblies of God churches in one little tiny small town. So let me just give you the theology on this. When someone becomes a Christ follower, commits their life to Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, there's a new spiritual being created, a brand new spiritual baby. But that's not the end of the problem, that's the beginning of the problem. Because my old nature, even though I now have a new spirit nature, my old human nature is still alive and well. In fact, Galatians 5.17, get that mic, Kate, I think Angie has that. Cade have it, you have Cade. Galatians, oh, I didn't, you didn't, I'm sorry, I skipped right over you, Angie. Please stand. We're talking about the mission of the church. And here it is in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold of wisdom of God shall be made known according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, thank you. So the purpose of the church is that Jesus makes himself known through the church. Okay, now we're talking about the people that are unchurched that have a bad opinion of the church, and we, we're mentioning that we have this sin nature that's always rising up. Okay, Galatians 5.17, Kate, please. Oh, hold on a second. That's not on. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Okay, make your way over to Peyton. All right, here's what I want you to see. When Jesus becomes Lord of my life, I still have my same appetites and desires and, and needs that I had before I was a Christ follower. So even though Jesus has given me dominion over my sin nature, it still must be dealt with. This is Colossians, Colossians 3.5. Oh, 
Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Okay, thank you. I thought this would be really cool. Have people. <laughs> All right, so here's we have the church. We've got, we've got new people coming together, all different backgrounds, all different religious traditions, um, all of them hardwired to be selfish. How do we ever imagine that we could vote on anything? You hear me? Now we're talking about the mission of the church. God raised up Covenant Life Assembly so that people would be able to see Jesus in us, the physical body of Christ. So now we have the matter at hand today. And in case you don't know, we've been approached by another group of believers in our community. They have the identical mission that we do. In fact, I was going to say similar because that's safer. But biblically, their mission is identical to ours. And they have approached us with this proposal. What if we could both do what God has called each of us to do, and together we did it better than we could if we were separate. In other words, if we have the same mission, could we be better together than we are separate? Hmm. Now, honestly, when I was approached, way easier for me to just dismiss this proposal out of hand which frankly, I almost did. Nah, we're good. Things are going good, thanks, we're fine. But what if this is a God thing? What if the Lord is leading us? So I took this proposal to our board, and we decided to just explore the question. Okay, well, what does that look like? I began meeting with Pastor Ramey on a weekly basis back in January, We've been praying together. We've been sharing vision. We've been talking about what we do alike, what we do different. We've talked about doctrines and theology. We've read every book and article and periodical we can find on church mergers. And frankly, there's not that many because it's not something you see a whole lot. I invited Pastor Amy to preach over here. I preached over there the following Sunday. And I was a part of their town hall on that weekend and let me just share their story. And I believe I have this right. The details may not be perfect, but this is kind of what I picked up. Brian and Serena, they're both from Arkansas. Don't hold that against them. But they were successful youth pastors in a local Assemblies of God church. Very, had a big youth group. And while they were there on staff, that church flew apart. And Brian and, Ramey, uh, Brian and Serena and Ramey decided to go continue to be youth pastors in another church. And a group of the people from that church approached them about starting a church locally. They did that. It's a long story, but they did that 11 years ago. And they began meeting in a strip shopping center just a couple of blocks away from us. They're right on the other side of Central Junior High. And they bought a section of that strip shopping center and outgrew that. And they leased a space next to them. And now they've outgrown that. Their church is slightly larger than ours and slightly younger, but they've come to the place after 11 years that they feel like they cannot do what God has called them to do because of facility limitations. Now, my first question in my heart 
that I've, I've had to deal with ever since we've been talking is this. What is their motivation really? I know what they say. They say they're motivated by the kingdom, what God's called them to do. But what if they just want what we have? So here's, I don't know the answer to that question, but here's what I can tell you. Our boards have met together. The boards of the both churches have met together. Both churches have opened their books to the other financially. I have spent a great deal of time now with this man, and I have looked him in the eye, and I have been begging God to give me wisdom. And let me tell you why. And I'm being honest here. I am almost crushed with the weight of my responsibility to you. Because Peter says, you be faithful shepherds of God's flock. And James says, not many people should assume to be teachers because they carry a much higher responsibility when we stand before God. So, here's where I'm at the moment. I believe they are sincere. I believe they want to do what God has called them to do, but it's up to you to decide, ultimately. Now, let me tell, before we go on, I'm going to just share some of the objections that I've heard from some of you, directly and indirectly. And the first one's about money. Someone said to me, I get it where two small churches may need to combine, you know, for survivability. Well, that's just not the case here. Both churches are doing very well financially. They um, own the building they're in that appraises for more than $300,000. They have no debt, zero debt. In 2020, when we refinanced our mortgage, we had our property appraised, and it appraised for $2,745,000, and our mortgage balance is a little over $400,000, so we've got about $2.4 million in equity. So both churches are just fine financially. Money is not an issue. Now, the next obvious question would be, what if they just want our equity? Well, let me just say a couple of things as lovingly and as gently as I can. First of all, it's not our equity. It belongs to the Lord. And if we think it's ours, we've got an issue. And secondly, what do you want to do with it? Okay, issue number two. Oh, Randy's just looking for an exit strategy. <laughs> I get why you'd think that. But let me just say to you that I have no plans to retire whatsoever. Um, I don't want to leave you in a bind, though, when it is time for me to retire. And we don't know when that is. I could lose it. Some say I am losing it cognitively as we speak. <laughs> but you never know. So the thing about this merger proposal for me personally, it gives me an opportunity to have a hand in the transition. And secondly, I believe it may extend my ministry life. Don't say anything, JC. <laughs> I think it can extend my, my functionality, okay? Objection number three is that Randy just wants a bigger church. Well, I'm, there, there was certainly a time in the... In the not-too-distant pastor, that would have been true. When I was very ambitious and all about growing. But I can safely say that I've outgrown that. I've kind of had a death experience to that. You know, we don't even count on Sundays. When someone says, how many did you have on Sunday? I don't know, because it doesn't matter. And the, here's the truth. 
there are very many things that I would like to see us do. There have been programs in our fellowship that have fallen by the wayside for lack of volunteers. And I would love to pick those up again. Wednesday night, family night, something I'd love to see happen again. And this merger would more than double our pool of volunteers. So that's not a bad thing. Another issue I've heard is about preaching. I like the way things are now. And this has nothing to say about my talent, but it's, I think people like expository series and like kind of studying verse by verse by verse. And the truth is, Brian and I will share preaching responsibilities if you vote for this merger, and, and we will find a rhythm. And what I like about this is we will plan series together, and I really hope to have an opportunity to serve as a mentor to him and kind of help him along that way. And fifthly, the fifth issue is probably the biggest issue, frankly. <laughs> These people are going to come in and take my place. Whatever. I've car. <laughs> Roger said, let them have it. <laughs> Some of us have found a place where we're necessary here and we're needed here. And it's a very good feeling to be needed. And, and there's a lot of obvious places like the people on the worship team. What happens with them? But there's a lot of other places where things are going on behind the scenes and people are genuinely serving the Lord. And they're thinking, what if somebody comes in and takes my place? I get that. And you do have assigned seats. Let's not pretend like you don't. Okay. But here's the bottom line. Here's the fact about this. And we're going to get back to the scriptures in just a second. Change is hard. And nobody likes it. Well, I think some psychopaths like it, but normal people don't like change. And in the stuff that I've read, the experts say that not everybody will stay through a process like this. And honestly, that breaks my heart. I cannot stand the idea of hurting someone and someone leaving. So it is mandatory that we understand and apply what the Bible says. Is that right? Vanessa, this is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, if you want to follow along. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Right, stop just a second. Yes. Read that part again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Question, to whom is Paul writing? Christians, the church, right? So why does Paul feel it necessary to write that? Answer, we're sinful. We've talked about this. And the truth is, listen, nobody says, I'm going to take advantage of a, a brother or sister in Christ because it's better for me. Nobody says that. Nobody says, I, I struggle with vain conceit. And yet Paul wrote this, so there must be a problem, right? Okay, the reason Paul gives us these instructions is because we're blind. Go ahead, Vanessa, I'm sorry. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Thank you. I'm just going to leave that up there for a minute so you can refer to it. But I'm going to tell you a story that, that speaks specifically to where we're at today. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 5, the New Testament church was growing like crazy. And if you read through Acts chapter 5, it's just jaw-dropping stuff where the Bible says people are getting healed all over the place. This is where Peter's shadow falls on sick people and they're healed. 
And the end of Acts chapter 5, this is where the apostles, they're preaching at the temple and they get arrested and thrown in jail. And the next morning the Jewish court convenes and says, go to the cell and get those Christian preachers and bring them in. And the jailer goes and the cell's empty. An angel busted them out in the middle of the night. And he goes back to the court and says, they're gone, they're gone, where are they? I don't know. And they went to the temple, they're back there preaching again, right where they got arrested the day before. And the Bible says the church is just growing like crazy. This is revival by any definition. Now this is Acts 6. And Angela, you have Acts 6.1? Get that microphone, please. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Okay, please notice, while revival is happening, as the church is growing, one group of believers called the leaders to complain about another group of believers. How is that even possible? But the leaders in this story said, look, guys, we can't be refereeing squabbles over food. God has called us to pray and to teach the word. So they appointed seven leaders who took care of the food distribution, which is a beautiful idea. Now, this is Acts 6-7. Tamara, you have that? So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish, Jewish priests were converted too. Okay. This is so good. That conflict in Acts 6-1 could have derailed what God was trying to do. It could have absolutely stopped the growth of the New Testament church in its tracks. Now we have to ask, how in the world could something like that happen? Weren't they Christians? The church in Philippi that Paul wrote, do nothing out of selfish ambition ambition or vain conceit. Weren't they Christians? Well, the truth is sometimes Christians relate to one another out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And the truth is when we do that, I would suggest we have no idea. And if we had been able to go to those Hebrew-speaking Jews and the Greek-speaking Jews in the New Testament church and say, one of you is out of line, they wouldn't have known at all. They wouldn't have seen it because we're, we have blind spots where it comes to our sinfulness. Now, for God's purposes to be accomplished in the New Testament church, there was a group of people here that had to lay aside the baggage of racism. And for God's purposes to be accomplished at Covenant Life Assembly, there's going to have to be a group of people that lay aside the baggage of preferences. And let me just say to you in closing, I'm scared too. I'm not one of those psychopaths that like change. I don't like change. And the truth is, if I had my way, if I were the only one voting, I wouldn't change a thing. My job is a fantasy camp. I've got a group of people that I love with all my hearts, and I feel like you love me back. You pay me a great salary. This, the only thing that this merger can accomplish for me is to make my life more difficult. So the much bigger question I have to ask is, what can this merger do for my church? Not for me, but for my church. What might this merger do for our community? 
What might this merger do for the kingdom? And finally, what if this is God's doing? What if he's in it and I stand in the way? Now, Father, as we just pause to talk and share and open our hearts with one another, I pray that you would direct us by the Holy Spirit. I pray that we will be overwhelmed with compassion, first of all, for you and your kingdom, and secondly, for one another, that you might be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. 